Hey there Desi Crime fans. I'm your host Arjun and I'm Ishwara. And welcome back to another episode of the Desi Crime podcast. Like always it is my job to beg you to hit the follow button if you're listening on Spotify or Apple or wherever. Just hit it. Please. Imagine a video shot on one of those highly pixelated Nokia cameras from back in the early 2010s. You're probably imagining a blurry video with indistinguishable faces of people. Well, not far from your imagination, a video like that surfaced back in 2012, far in the northern hills of Pakistan in a small district called Kohistan. This video to an outsider like me or you is a very innocent clip. Four women clapping and singing wedding songs while one boy dances to their melodious tunes. Sounds like a happy moment caught on a 2 megapixel Nokia camera. Well, think again. This is the story of the video that took the lives of eight people. This is the story of the Kohistan video murders. Ishwara, what do you think is the most important aspect of writing and researching for one of these episodes? Um, I think I'd say finding authentic sources. No, it is a damn good cup of coffee, is what it is. Okay. <laughs> and for as little as a cup of coffee a month, you can spare some change for your favorite, the Desi Crime Podcast, by becoming a patron on Patreon for as little as two dollars. You see what I did there? <laughs> yes, I do see what you did there, tricking our listeners into giving us money. But in all honesty you guys in return we give you some blockbuster extra episodes monthly early access private discord chats Q&As video calls and so much more the link is in our description It has almost been a year since we started this podcast Ashwarya and it has been quite the journey But when I look back at the many cases we have covered some have been sensational others have had famous celebrities in them while some have been famous serial killers and in all those cases i maintained a distance with the victim uh, you know i sympathized with them but did not step into their shoes you know what i mean but this case was very different for me i got involved in this case like no other and this is the first case that i'm genuinely scared to cover on our podcast scared scared as in how scared as in this case involves powerful people and hyper conservative cultures the thought of giving this case airtime on our podcast initially made me fear for our safety i'm i'm not kidding i'm being honest but as i talked to documentary makers journalists and activists involved with the kohistan case whose interviews by the way are featured in this episode I was reassured to bring justice to this story. Even if I cannot bring justice to the victims, the least I can do is bring justice to their story. All right, you have me all excited and really nervous now. So, Aryan, take us to those cold, frigid mountains of Pakistan. 
Kohistan is a district in the Khyber Pakhtunkhwa region of northern Pakistan. Flanked by tall snowy mountains, this region would remind every Indian of Kashmir and every European of Switzerland. It is gorgeous. But the beauty captured by drone footage of those frigid mountains doesn't tell the actual story of the region. They say don't judge a book by its cover. Well, don't judge Kohistan by its geography. Khyber Pakhtunkhwa can be travelled by the Khyber Pass that connects India, Pakistan and Afghanistan. The real story, the real culture will not be discovered by aerial footage, but by physically travelling that road. Kohistan is 350 kilometers from the capital Islamabad. I talked to film director Brishke Ahmed, who directed a documentary on this case, and she explains how not only does the geography change as you travel from Islamabad to Kohistan, there is a visible change in culture. And to some, it can be a frightening change. As you approach Kohistan via a car, the number of women visibly on the streets steadily decrease. And by the time you reach Kohistan, the place where this entire case is based, no woman can be seen on the street. None whatsoever. Zilch. Okay, so let me just quickly address the elephant in the room. (laughs) Where are the women? Obviously, there have to be women in Kohistan to exist for reproduction to work. But where are they? That's a fair question. Most of the women are either inside their homes or working on the fields. Women in that region are not allowed to leave their homes. Women leaving their houses is seen as sacrilegious. Shameful. But of those women that cannot leave their homes, there are four women trapped in a room who are being tortured. This is their story. The story of Begum Jan. Shireen Jan, Baziga and Amna. Four women who were kidnapped and trapped in a room for 30 days in May of 2012. But let's dial it back a bit and see how we got here in the first place. In spring of 2012, phones in Kohistan were pinging left, right and centre with an MMS, which is usually a photo or a video. This was way before the era of airdrop, Google Drive or viral TikToks. This was the time when messaging was everything. You either sent an SMS or an MMS. This MMS I'm talking about was a video. A video shot back in 2011. And a video that eventually got the four women trapped in a room a month later. What could a year-old video possibly have that could lead to such devastating effects? I know, I'm making it sound like the horror movie Ring, wherein everyone who saw that cursed videotape died. The difference is, this is real, and this is far scarier. Let me describe the video for you. It was shot at a wedding in 2011 in a small room. I know that the video sounds ominous since it led to so much damage and you're expecting something scandalous. Well, decide for yourselves if what I'm going to describe is quote-unquote scandalous. The video features four women, Begum Jan, Shireen Jan, Baziga and Amna. You might ask, well, are they in a compromising position, Aryan? No, they're merely sitting. Then you may wonder, well, are they dressed inappropriately? Well, no, they're in their traditional clothing which consists of bright red and green drapes and burkhas that completely cover their bodies. One could say that they were dressed quote-unquote properly. 
Well, Aryan, you would ask, are they doing something sleazy? No, in fact, in the video, the women can be seen literally clapping and singing. That's all they are doing. But if you would go further, you would then ask Aryan, what are they singing? Some blasphemous songs. No, they're singing folk wedding songs. All that is there in this video is four women who are fully clad in traditional clothing, sitting and singing wedding songs. Okay, hold on. How the hell can this lead to them being kidnapped? Even the things that you mentioned above are so trivial for anything to happen to these women. But without all of this, what were they doing? Not just kidnapped, tortured as well. But I'll get to that later. The reason is that the video was being recorded by Bin Yasir, a man from Kohistan, on his phone. And his brother, Gul Nazar, was dancing to the melodious tunes of the women. Needless to mention, both of them were men. Even though the men were also wearing fully traditional clothes. And in fact, Gul Nazar was performing a traditional dance, mind you. Just the fact that unmarried men and women were in the same room led to this grainy old Nokia phone video to become more viral than a cat-puking rainbow video could ever be in Pakistan. What follows is the audio version of that video clip. What you'll be hearing are the voices of Begum, Shireen, Baziga and Amna singing those folk songs I was talking about while Bin Yasir fiddles with the camera as he records. You guys, the video, I can't explain it, but just the fact that it's so normal... Hmm. makes it even scarier. I'm sure there are millions of videos exactly like this yeah. from countries like India and Pakistan all over the internet right now. It's so unbelievably normal. <laughs> and unbelievably normal is something very rare for the Daisy Crime Podcast. But that's the thing. That's what makes it really eerie. And since the video is central to this case, we have uploaded it on our Instagram and Twitter at Desi Crime. While you're over there, oblige us by hitting the follow button. Without any context, what you just heard sounds like beautiful tunes in a foreign language you cannot comprehend. But it isn't the music that made it viral. It is the controversy embedded within the video that actually made it viral. But it didn't stop there at a viral video. I will call a spade a spade and call Kohistan what it is. It is a hyper-conservative patriarchal society. The video infuriated the sexist society. Imagine what can happen in a place like this where women aren't allowed to leave their houses, let alone be singing and clapping in the same room as other men. This is what lies at the heart of this case. As soon as this video surfaced in Kohistan in March of 2012, the four women were inevitably kidnapped and held hostage in a small room. The kidnappers 
were none other than the women's own family members. If you haven't guessed it yet, this was the beginning of what will become Pakistan's most infamous honor killing. An honor killing rift with assassinations, lies, politics and high-level drama. And underscoring all that drama is a sense of injustice that is very hard to overcome. But for some context, can you describe Ashwarya what an honor killing is? Yes, so although it's a fairly complicated socio-political and I would say cultural phenomena, simply put, I think an honor killing is the murder of a family member due to the murderer's belief that the victim has brought shame or dishonor to the family or has violated the principles of a community or a religion uh, with an honor culture. In this case, I'm assuming that the women are the ones who have allegedly brought dishonor to the family mm. and the principles of Kohistan's sexist society were infringed because of that. And honor killings are essentially um, usually against women when they marry outside of their religion or marry outside of their caste. And they're very prevalent, unfortunately, in countries like India and Pakistan. Well, you said it better than I ever could. And while honor killings are rampant not only in Pakistan, but India and Bangladesh as well, as you said... Pakistan has the highest number of documented and estimated honor killings per capita of any country in the world. About one-fifth of the world's honor killings are performed in Pakistan. What? Somewhere around 1,000 official killings every year. The important word here is official. These are the killings that are accounted for by the Human Rights Council in Pakistan. But a majority of these deaths are never reported. There are two major reasons for the lack of reporting. First is that honor killings are committed by, well, family members. If it's your family that kills you, who is going to report to the police? So imagine if you, the crazy Desi listener, is kidnapped while you're listening to our crazy Desi podcast on your crazy Desi late night walk. Your partner or parents or friends will go to the police and lodge a complaint. But what if you were kidnapped by your partner and parents and friends? What then? Who will come to your rescue? That is exactly why so few honor killings are reported to authorities. There simply is no one to report. By the way, that was a, just a hypothetical situation. I hope it doesn't happen to you. I cannot guarantee that. But there's a second more insidious reason that makes Pakistan number one on the honor killing charts. The Khyber Pakhtunkhwa region, where Kohistan is located, is hardly administered by the federal Pakistani government. Due to the inaccessibility of the Khyber region, due to its mountainous territory, the locals follow their own laws and are hardly ever bothered by national civil liberty laws or rape laws. What they call law, we call lawlessness. Out there, it's like the wild, wild east. You do what you want to do and there is no one to hold you accountable. Unless you're a woman. Before I continue, Ashwarya, I request you to chime in whenever I try to explain sexism in Kohistan and the experiences of women in a place where they aren't allowed to leave their homes. I don't think I can even imagine what it would be like to live in such a world. And I know you haven't lived in a place where you can't leave your house, but you've certainly experienced your fair share of sexism. What would it be like for you to live in Kohistan? 
I don't think I can imagine living in a place like this, Aryan. And I was thinking about this as you're narrating that even living in Delhi or studying in the US makes me so far removed mm. from sexism of this nature. I don't think I can comprehend what it means to be in a society like this and the fact that sexism is widespread exists in the US or in India's most developed cities. It's just so sad what happens to the women in these places. I I I couldn't agree more and I think this is why I needed to give you certain space to sort of preface the conversation around this case with that. So it is May of 2012 now. The four women have been kidnapped and trapped in a single room by their own family. Within a couple of days of their kidnapping, a jirga is held. A jirga is essentially a quasi-legal tribal council composed of male elders. Essentially this jirga or tribal council is held to decide the fate of the women and not only the women but also Bin Yasir and Gul Nazar the two brothers in the video after all they're equally culpable in bringing dishonor to the girls tribe and in that process they dishonor their own families in Kohistan the jirga's decision is the equivalent of the United Nations Security Council It is absolutely binding and no one can escape its wrath. But life was too precious for Bin Yasir and Gul Nazar to not at least try to escape. Unlike the hostage women, they still had a shot to make it through the hills of Khyber Pakhtunkhwa and escape that regressive mentality, that regressive culture that doesn't just punish women but also punishes men. And so they tried. whispers about the jirga's decision spread across kohistan and even before the judgment could be delivered mind you court and court judgment of the jirga which has no legal validity the two brothers had escaped the region nowhere to be found but the concept of honor isn't so simple after all the dishonor that the women and men in the video allegedly brought had to be avenged in its totality so the jirga further ordered all kohistanis to murder or as they would call honorably kill everyone related to binangul their children their wives their brothers their sisters all were sentenced to death anyone who was directly related to the brothers fled kohistan in a bid to save their lives they left behind an ancestral home large farmlands and their own history The only one left from that video in Kohistan are those four girls alive between four walls they cannot leave counting their last breaths for the jirga has issued a fatwa to end their lives unless unless someone dares to stand up for them but let's go back to that statistic i mentioned earlier 1000 honor killings officially recorded every year in Pakistan Even if we take that number at face value that still means that there are three honor killings every single day in Pakistan that is one honor killing every 8 hours at the time you are listening to this podcast somebody is probably being murdered in Pakistan under the guise of honor given the magnitude of the problem of honor killing which is endemic to South Asia Why then did this particular case in the remote valleys of northern Pakistan get featured 
on the Desi Crime Podcast. Why is it this particular case that not only became national headlines in Pakistan, but was covered by BBC and other international media networks? Yeah, I was going to ask you the exact same thing actually, Aran. It's not rare to have honor killings in India. Allegedly, the case that I did, the Rahman Tori love story, was probably also an honor killing. And so many more cases like that exist and go unreported every single day without making national or even international headlines. What warranted this seemingly insignificant Jirgar decision to garner so much attention? There's a one-word answer to that question, Ashwarya. Afsal. I said a minute back, quote, unless someone dares to stand up for them, unquote. Afsal is whom I was talking about. Afsal is the elder brother of the two brothers Bin and Gul. He knew that once the Jirgar has made a decision... You can run, but you absolutely cannot hide. He knew that it was impossible to escape the many men that were behind them bloodthirsty for their lives. Afsal also cared for the girls. Even if his brothers could escape, the girls' fate was sealed if no one stands up. Against all odds, Afsal went ahead to report the Jirga's chief heads and the girls' family to the police. The local police and authorities were informed by Afsal of the video that went viral and the lives of those in the video that was at stake. Afsal was like Prince Charming in a fairy tale that comes and saves the princess against all odds. Aran, isn't that very, very, very dangerous for him to do? Like we've talked about the kind of region they are in and the fact that the Jirga existed and the fact that they could put out a decision like this just shows that, that maybe the police won't be helpful after all. Ashwara, there's a reason this is part one of a multi-episode series. Because yes, it was, as you said, very, very very dangerous. And to get a better idea of what Afsal was like in real life, let us listen into what Brishke Ahmed has to say. Brishke Ahmed is an award-winning director and writer known for many documentaries like The Story of the Burqa, Wanting the Wine, and the documentary that is pertinent to this case, Unveiled, the Kohistan video scandal. She was kind enough to take time out of her very busy schedule to actually do an interview with us. And in this segment of the interview that we are putting on this episode, she describes what it was like when she met Afsal. What was Afsal like in person? While I can only see videos of him, she met the man. And here's what she had to say. So all our listeners are going to be able to do is visualize Afsal, visualize the case, because most of them would be just hearing it. It's a podcast. Most of them, I'm sure, would go find your documentary on Amazon or YouTube. But for, for our listeners, can you explain what Afsal was like? Did you have any preconceptions of him before you met him that he shattered when you met him? But what was Afsal the man like? Yes, uh, Afsal. Uh- when I for, was getting ready in uh, Islamabad to go to Abbottabad, no, actually we went to Rawalpindi, to Rawalpindi to meet Afsal for the first time in a little hotel, a little motel there. And he, he had come in from uh, Kuwistan. I expected to meet somebody that was sort of, that would not want to look at me like eye to eye, would want to speak through a translator with me. 
and I would have to dress a certain way. Do you know what I mean? But the thing is that it was really, really hot. And this hotel, this little motel where we were supposed arranged to meet him was had no air conditioning. There was just like this one broken fan. And I couldn't wear my headscarf. So I was nervous. I thought he, he might leave when he sees me. Like he might be disrespected. Do you know what I mean? Because he's coming from Kuwastan, which is like near the federally administrated tribal area of Pakistan. And in walks this man who looks like a movie star. Like literally. So dashing and charming. He looks like an action hero. Like, you know, like in a, in like a Bollywood film. Kind of like chiseled chin and everything. He reaches to give me a hug. Because he's so grateful that that people are listening to his story. Um, and honestly, you know, I feel, I felt so comfortable with him, like any, like any man in Canada here in any like small town US or even America, New Yorker, like a guy, uh, gave me the same vibes of chilledness. Like he was just like a bro, like right away. If there's one thing Afsal would be remembered by is he was a bro. Uh, that, that word in our previous conversation stood out to me. He was a bro. <laughs> He was a bro, and especially because, like, as he came in, like, the first thing he did was he, like, lifted up his vest and took out this big gun and put it on the table and then came over to give me a hug. Um, because he didn't, like, you know what I mean? He really treated me like a sister, uh, especially because I'm from Afghanistan and I'm from Kandahar and he speaks Pashto, so... While we'll keep including segments of our interview with Brishke in the episodes to come, to have access to the full-length interview, which is about 25 minutes long, go become a patron on Patreon and enjoy many other privileges among having access to this interview. At this stage, Afsal has gone to the police to not only make them aware of the viral video, but also the fact that the lives of the girls and his own brothers are at stake. Keep in mind, the girls are still very much alive and they could very well be saved if action is taken on time. But while Afsal was begging local cops, then began the torture. Boiling water was poured on the poor girls. Hot coal was thrown at them, all as a sign of protest because Afsal was reporting to authorities. The girls were tortured all because they clapped and sung and sat beside two boys. Afsal soon realized that local authorities are, frankly speaking, useless. And so he took the first step that stirred the pot. He drove south 250 kilometers to the city of Abtabad in Kiber Pakhtunkhwa, another major city in that region. There he arranged a press conference. With no regard for his own safety, like you pointed out earlier, Ashwarya, he was televised across news channels protesting the death sentence levied on the girls and his brothers. It was a maniacal scene with police trying to restrict him and officers forced to give his voice attention because they too were being televised after all. That night, on June 4th, 2012, the story from Kohistan spread like wildfire across Pakistan. With a news summary on Geo.tv, I'm Sharbana Javeri. The Supreme Court has taken suomoto notice of the issue of four women and two men who were sentenced to death by clerics in Kohistan for singing and dancing at a wedding after a mobile phone video of them enjoying themselves surfaced. This seemed like the start of justice. The pot had been stirred. Afsal was now on everyone's hit list for snitching 
but he did what he planned on in Abbottabad. The press conference was a masterstroke, a great success. But that success came way too late for four girls from Kohistan who were murdered after 30 days of torture on 30th May 2012, merely 4 days before the conference was held. Begum Jan, Shireen Jan, Baziga and Amna perished helplessly. They perished hopelessly. But the end of their lives doesn't mark the end of their story. The case has been recognized by the Supreme Court. Afsal's brothers are on the run and now Afsal is a target. To find out how this case unfolds and to hear interviews we conducted with journalists and directors, tune in to part 2 of the Kohistan video murders.